1: Lob Talk Radio. Hi, this is Brenda Russell, and there is definitely a buzz happening. Brandon's Buzz. Hey,
0: this is Nicholas Rodriguez. You are listening to Brandon's Buzz. Be prepared to laugh. You're going to have a good time.
1: Hi, I'm Alita Adams. Everybody is all a buzz about Brandon's Buzz. This guy is the person to listen to. <laughs> I wish you could do all the interviews. So <laughs> oh, If you feel that you just can't take it, And your world isn't what it seems Don't forget that life can be what you make it Baby, when you live on a street of dreams Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon's Buzz, the place to be. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is Connie Pasolacca-Hayman, otherwise known as Marlena Delacroix. I have a great time with Brandon. I always do. He's a fantastic interviewer, and I'm saying that because I'm a journalism professor, and he's a pro. This is Maya Bialik,
0: and you are lucky enough to be listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hey guys, and welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. It is September 16th, 2009. It's 10 a.m. here in Texas. It's 11 a.m. out in sunny New York, and it's 8 a.m. bright and early in California, and I thank you for coming back to Brandon's Buzz. You know, it's a big day for Brandon's Buzz today. It is a Guiding Light Palooza. I've got a great guest right now, and I've got a great guest coming up tonight. Her name is Pamela K. Long. She she was the head writer of Guiding Light for about seven years, uh, throughout most of the 80s. And she is, you know, widely regarded as one of the most important, if not the most important and most interesting and most compelling storytellers in the storied history of Guiding Light. And uh, we're going to talk all about that tonight. That is at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, uh, 9 p.m. here in Texas, right here at Brandon's Buzz. You can find Brandon's Buzz at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Brandon's Buzz. That's kind of mission control for the show You can listen to the show, you can download old shows, you can listen to old shows, you can leave comments, you can send me an email, you can tell me what you like, you can tell me what you don't like. It's kind of mission control for Brandon's Buzz. That's blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. Uh, You can also find me at my blog, brandonsbuzz.com. There's a full radio archive of every every show that I've had. I've had 33 shows so far. They're all up at brandonsbuzz.com in the radio archive. Just look at the top of the page. Click on the radio button up there. Uh, I'm also on iTunes. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm all over the place. There's no excuse not to be able to find me. Just Google the words Brandon's Buzz and something will pop up that will point you in my direction. And uh, I appreciate those of you who have found me and those of you who continue to find me and continue listening to me. So uh, as I said, it's a guiding light palooza all day today, uh, tonight with Pam Long and today with a great guest. And, you know, I'm a little nervous about this. So if I sound nervous, it's because I am, because I have a fantastic guest today. You know, my guest has become quite a regular here at Brandon's Buzz, and I couldn't be more thrilled about that fact, because for a decade-plus, she and I had a standing date every Monday, which was the day that I would rush to the grocery store and tear the place apart, searching for the latest issue of Soap Opera Weekly. Sometimes I would wait until I had made it back to the car, but most weeks I would just stand there at the checkout counter and flip through the magazine until I reached her page. So anxious was I to get her take on the latest activities. In critical condition, the legendary column she penned for that magazine for 12 glorious years she wrote some of the most probing, most insightful, most compelling prose about Guiding Light and its numerous ups and downs that any journalist ever dared to. And on the wrenching occasion of this classic soap's final episode, which is coming on Friday, uh, I knew that this was one of the people I needed to speak with, and I am so thrilled and honored that she said yes, indeed, I am so thrilled and honored to welcome back to Brandon's Buzz this morning the hilarious, the outrageous Marlena Delacroix herself, Connie Pasolacqua Heyman.
1: Hi, Brandon. It's a pleasure for me to be back on your show. Always a pleasure. I just wish that we didn't have to have this very sad, sad occasion this week with the end of Guiding Light.
0: Oh my gosh, tell me about it. You know, it's it, it, it's the show that's been on the chopping block for uh, a good decade at least. But you know, it's still sad and almost unbelievable a little bit to to realize that it's finally here.
1: Oh, it's really. It's so. It's really. I mean, it's it, 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 it's it's so emotional. I think for anyone who has watched it or who's been in it, and everybody in the soap industry has been on that show, which I sure. could talk about. And it's just like, you know, it's, like a, it's such a big thing to all of us. You know, even if we didn't watch it now, you know, chances are we watch it at some point in our soap careers, Absolutely. Or watching soap. So it's, it's you know, a big piece of home. So, you know, before we get
0: into Guiding Light Memories, I want to talk about you and Critical Condition. You know, I know we got into this a little bit the first time you were on the show, but I'm going to be quoting liberally from past columns of yours throughout this show. Okay. And I want to know what it was like for you, uh, uh, how it felt to be really the only one out there doing this kind of thing. I mean, you know, Digest had a little bit of criticism, almost all of it anonymously written.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And Logan now and then delved into Critical Pieces, but for most of your run at Soap Weekly, there was nobody in your lane. You had it all to yourself.
1: Well, thank you. Um, Uh, What was that kind of power like? What was was it like to? Well, I, you know, I, it wasn't. I didn't think about the power, and you know, now that I'm older, I understand it better. But it was like me expressing my love of soaps, you know. And I'm a writer, so I was very lucky to combine, you know, my love as a writer and my love of soaps every week and get paid for it. And um, you know, and they really didn't, you know, challenge my opinions and. Mimi Torchin, who was the editor of the magazine, who I had known for many, many years before the magazine even started, yeah. you know, st- you know, stuck up for me. That's not, you know, with, with the with the network. So it really was an ideal job. And, uh, boy, I miss it. You can see now I have my own column uh, on the Internet, which is www.marlanasolaclod.com. I loved it so much. I, I came back to it. <laughs> but um, in terms of power... It was it was interesting. I have many stories. I have good stories and yeah. bad stories. Which one do you want? Uh, you take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the good stories is is you know all of a sudden the head writers found me. You know, and I was like, why do they want to talk to me? You know, and they you know and they they found me and uh, the you know most a lot of the uh, you know head writers and producers were very nice to me, but I was so naive at the time. I didn't understand it. You know, and I I'm not the kind of person like. That really like you know like likes being with stars. I yep. loved head writers because they were fantastic, and uh-huh. I was very very lucky. And they taught me so much about soaps and writing.
0: And that but, was the year when the head writer really had all the power.
1: Yes, but they were losing it too. So I got to see when they had it and when they were losing it. You know, the bad side of it was see um, it's hard to, hard to think of any really bad side of it, but. You know, it's as uh, there. There started to be a lot of people who did started doing what I did, and um, I don't know. You know, not nearly as well either. Thank you. But you know, <laughs> uh, that that was the only bad side. I would say it was all a plus. You know, really, it's the best job I ever had.
0: Absolutely. You know how. how- how good of a secret or how, how badly kept of a secret was your true identity in the, in the world? Did everybody know who you were?
1: Yes, yes, because I'll tell the story again. I should wear it as a sign on my back. <laughs> when when Soap Opera Weekly started, I was working for Episodes magazine, and Episodes was like the ABC magazines, and they paid a whole lot of money. And um, the editor, Joanne Burke, said, well, you can't work for us and work for a Soap Opera magazine. You know, this is a conflict of interest. You have to come up with a pen name. So... You know, I didn't know that Soap Opera Weekly was going to be such a success. I was working on like 12 soap opera magazines at the moment. <laughs> and my uh, one of my uh, old boyfriends came up with the name, which is a play, Marlena de Lacroix, it's a play on Paso Lacroix. My middle name is Marlene, for real. And also I had interviewed Deirdre Hall, who gave me the worst time of my life the year before we started the <laughs> column. So so we just started it. Who knew? You know? And it was never really a secret. It was never really a secret. But then we, you know made a cartoon character out of her, and we had these fabulous illustrations, and it just uh-huh. kind of took off, you know. But everybody knew who it was. I, you know, it was no secret.
0: Did it make you an unfair target?
1: No. As a matter of fact, I never got credit for it, you know, because nobody knew it was, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, a lot of yeah, readers exactly. didn't know. And, exactly. You know, I, I can't really think of a hand, a very handful of people who ever, ever had, the, had the gall to, to target me. You know, because I am a journalist. You know, I am not uh-huh. a syncopan And, you know, in that little Marlena De La column wasn't just what I think, but it was about criticism, okay, and it was about professional criticism. And I think that was re- respected.
0: Yes, I remember you telling the story about being attacked by a guiding light producer, if I'm not mistaken.
1: No, it was a guiding light writer.
0: Okay. <laughs> Over over something that you had written in in uh, one of your columns, and you know he does, he he can go nameless, but oh
1: that one okay there's this is too there's a, there's a guiding light writer who was actually a writer on the city and I was attacked by her and I was attacked by a producer of guiding light at a party and that was pretty pretty bad <laughs> it was it was very sad very sad you know I was very I said I tried to say the truth and sometimes they didn't know the truth because they're sitting in their little offices, you know. I'm not saying I know all of the truth, but, you know, it doesn't occur to them what goes out on the air sometimes. It's very scary.
0: <laughs> so, tell me about your general memories of, of Guiding Light. You know, I've been watching this show since 1987, and that's long enough, but, uh-huh. I mean, you have an even longer history than that with this. What are what are your initial memories of watching this show?
1: Oh, so many. Um, first of all, I was not a Guiding Light watcher when I watched soaps in the 70s. It was kind of like the Square show. <laughs> And, you know, it was like middle America and I was a hit New Yorker. But in 1980, when I I started working uh, for a magazine called Afternoon TV and later I became its editor, um, there was a guy who worked for me named John Genovese, who was a critic. He was was the first person who really helped me with criticism and he was friendly with Doug Morland and that's all he would talk about was Doug Morland and Guiding Light. And he could sing, you have to watch this, you have to watch this, you have to watch this. And then I did, and I really, you know, I said, wow, this isn't such a square soap anyway, and it was really well done, really well done. So I started like 1980, which I think is a really, you know, so I knew I could see what happened in the last 10 years, and my memories don't start in 1980 because it's such a historic show, you know, those characters were on forever. So that's how I started, and, um, you know, and I've watched pretty much ever since then, you know, so there's a lot of different eras, a lot of changes, and I'm really sad that it's going
0: yeah, uh, ultimately, why did Guiding Light have to go down in such an inglorious, ignominious way? I mean, you know, it, it could have happened, this could have happened to any of the remaining shows. There's no question about that.
1: Somebody could write their master's thesis on this someday, because I think it's a very long, involved story. I know that people like to, you know, blame people, blame this producer, this writer. I think it was death by a thousand cuts. Um, could I tell you where I think it started? Absolutely. Okay, this is just my opinion. I think it started... Um, in 1979 when Luke and Laura got to be big on General Hospital and they just swept everybody away from the, you know, to watch General Hospital and you have to remember that Guiding Light was in the same you know, they were in the same time zone so they were competing and I think that a lot of people, especially young people watched General Hospital and then they stayed for 30 years, okay you know, I have lots and lots of friends, I call them the Monty boys, you know, they worship Gloria Monty and they're still waiting for Gloria Monty <laughs> To come back. To rise you know. from the dead? What? Well, no, that's, no, that's, I, I respect her. I, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know, they were really at a disadvantage, and they had to come up with something to rival um, General Hospital. And I think that all those people, that as, for, as all the years went by, um, all, you know, they had, it was an uphill battle from then. I mean, I think they had a lot of success in the Reva, Pam long years. But I think that was the beginning. And you have to remember that every other soap in that time slot, which here in New York was three to four, after, you know, failed. Okay, there was uh, Texas. What else? There was Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, Sunset Beach, Passions, right? Uh, yeah, Port Charles. Uh, well, Port Charles here in New York was on it at a different time. I mean, it's, it's on different times.
0: Okay, we got but, it in the afternoon, so.
1: Yeah. So we, we got it, got it right, right after TH. So I'm saying Gen- General Hospital was always kind of like, the Almighty, and, you know, they gave Gloria Monty a piece of that show, in other words, a piece of the profits forever, uh-huh. and she earned it. You know, people huh. stay with soaps forever, so they really had an uphill, uphill fight. But that's when I think it started. Also, um, you know, GH was a young show, and yeah. Hiding Light was an old show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they had to get young very fast, as all the soaps had to do. So and,
0: you know, even even though they were they were quite successful in bringing in younger characters, it was always the the the, the perception of Guiding Light was always that it was the old fogey show. It just yeah, was.
1: exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. But I have to just add one thing, and that and you know put put in a name that I don't think anybody's bringing up today, which is Doug Marlin. You know, Doug Marlin created Luke. He was there at the beginning of Luke, the Luke and Laura era, and he and Gloria had a big falling out, and where did he go right afterwards? He went to (laughs) Guiding (laughs) Light. And, you know, it was terrible because General Hospital became this huge success, and where was Douglas, the nicest man in the world, and Mm -hmm. so talented? And he went to Guiding Light, and he created Kelly and Nola and Morgan, which was their first really big, you know, triangle. And they did Nola's Fantasies, which were, you know, movie musicals. And Mm -hmm. You know, he won an Emmy, and he also won, for me, from our magazine, as I was the editor of Afternoon TV, he won an Afternoon TV award. And, and this is like the, the, my one little Douglas story in the, that era. Um, we used to give out these awards for my magazine, and we didn't have any money. And we, we did it on the sets, and we gave Douglas his award on the set of Dining Light, and there were like three people watching. And he, he gave this acceptance speech, and he cried. <laughs> you know, he loved the show. He wow. loved the show, he loved the people. You know, and I really think that gave a new infusion into Guiding Light against General Hospital. Different times.
0: Why did Doug leave? Do we know? Was he, was he fired or did he leave voluntarily?
1: What was the, what was the next show that he went
0: to? Was he went it, to As the World Turns, but I don't think he, he went immediately. Did he immediately
1: go directly? For no. He did, went to Loving. He and, oh, yeah, um, yeah, he and Agnes, he and Agnes created it right. together. I had lunch with them. Could you believe it? <laughs> uh, together in 1983. So they created Loving. Okay. Um Usually Doug went to another show when he didn't, you know, he was very vulnerable, like, and very creative, like, you know, many people we know. And uh, he usually just moved on, you know, because he just didn't want to deal with all the craziness. And, you know, he, he was very lucky that he was able to do that because he was fantastic. Absolutely. And he did find happiness at as the world turns, finally. He
0: found happiness, he found
1: uh, the respect of the entire
0: community, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh but, you know, he really, really got screwed by Gloria (laughs) Masi, you know. So it's a little-known story, but important at the time.
0: You know, it's so great, Marlena Delacroix, lastnight.com, Marlena com reprinted your classic 1992 column, blueprint for number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, If memory serves, you were the first critic in the soap press to declare how great this show had become.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, how could you not watch it at the time? I mean...
0: You know, at at one point, I think the argument could be made that it was the most interesting, compelling show on television, regardless of the time slot.
1: Well, it was just, you know, a confluence. A confluence of writing and acting and producing. And it was just fabulous. You know, it was just so adult and intelligent. And, you know, I just knew that they had... You know, something wonderful. The storylines were exciting and heartfelt, and it was just wonderful. And that was before, you know, the decline of soap. So it was kind of like, you know, one of the last stands. Yeah, it was the last bastion. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's and I wanted to explain. My whole thing is explaining things. You know, I don't like to say, I like, I don't like, I like, I don't like. I like to explain it, and that was so easy to explain because it was so good.
0: What kind of reaction did you get from Blueprint after it ran?
1: Um... I'm trying to think.
0: I mean, I know, that, I know that Jill Phelps had a framed copy. Yes, of yes, yes. Office.
1: I went over to see her. I went over there, and she had a framed copy over her desk. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, that was really exciting for me. And um, it really was a high point, you know. And, and I question why it had to go differently after that. I really do.
0: Well, you know, in retrospect, was the blueprint faulty in some way?
1: No. I think it, was, it? it was okay for that time you know that period in time when there were still three tv networks and you could still you know you could still you know you, you could still do very serious intelligent shows it was good for that time i think it would be good now but i don't know if anybody would televise it because it was too good, too intelligent <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did the show lose when beverly mckenzie walked oh. is, it, is it possible to calculate what they lost
1: be- beverly you know uh, You know, I had watched her. She had played Iris on Another World um, in the 70s, and she was just magnificent. And there's no one else like her. For people who never saw her, she was magic. She was dry. She was witty. She was so vulnerable. Um, She could do one scene and make you cry and Mm -hmm. laugh at the same time. And um, when she was on Guiding Light, she played a very similar role, which was she was the original Alexandra. She was Lou Jack's mother, Vincent Rosari's mother. And she was, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of, sort of involved with Roger Thorpe, who was Michael Baswell. I was like, who could ask for anything more? <laughs> so, you know, I think it lost something. But the thing is, the show had a lot of other stuff. I don't want to diss her. She's the greatest. You know, I interviewed her later on. It was an honor and a privilege. And um, she is one of the all-time greats. Absolutely.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned that you mentioned Bev and Michael Zaslow because you know as great as they were on screen together, they didn't get along off screen.
1: Well, yeah, I understand. <laughs> that happens a lot. That happens a lot. That happens a lot, a lot.
0: You know, this may not be a fair question for you, and if it isn't, just tell me. But in your view, did something change in Jill Farren Phelps in the wake of Beverly's departure? You know, from her subsequent comments to the press, it seemed as though Beverly took great delight in making Phelps look like a total fool, because it, you know, it appeared that Phelps hadn't even read her contract.
1: And, well, I- <laughs> you,
0: you, I'm just wondering if, if some of Phelps' incredible passion for guiding light like, kind of flickered after that.
1: You know, I really don't know, you know, I'll tell you why, because Jill is like this, this monumental figure, you know, she's been the only person who's actually worked for 25 years straight in daytime, and she's very secretive, and she's very wily, and she likes you, she likes you, she, she hates you, she, she hates you, and she's done both with me and everyone else in the world. But I think that Beverly really did bonk her that time. I think that Beverly really did because, you know, she, she probably didn't know. I mean, that, I think it was true. I don't know if, if, if that was the end of her interest in guiding line. I really don't. I think that – What's she? your sense, though? I mean, just what, what's your what, – Where did she go after that? I can't remember. One life? Uh, one Life, right? No, she uh, she went to Another World. Oh, she went to Another World. Yeah.
0: Um, she, was, she was fired from Guiding Light in 95 and went immediately to Another World. And then, right. Uh, after she was taken off Another World, she kind of laid life. low for a couple of years. And, and then she then was hired as a consultant for ABC, and then they put her on One Life.
1: You know, I, re- I really don't know. She's very mysterious. Very mysterious. She's talked about more than anyone. Uh, You know, it's funny because I interviewed her the first time on Santa Barbara and I've, you know, seen her periodically, not recently, but, you know, I interviewed her through the years and um, I always found her very mysterious and (laughs) and also, um, you know, she's very, very very talented and very controversial and, you know, asked me about – somebody asked me yesterday how – Jill could be so great on Guiding Light after they had read what I said and so awful now on General Hospital. And I said, she's working for people. You know, in those days she was working for Procter Gamble. I, you know, now she's working for ABC. I don't know if she likes that kind of soap opera, but that's what she is asked to do. Yeah. No one is given artistic freedom, you know, in, in daytime. It's a collaborative medium, and I think that's what a lot of people forget. I'm not trying to defend her, but you have to remember that it's a business. Absolutely. You, you only are, you're only there as long as you make money for them.
0: And yet her contributions to this genre cannot be, you know, understated. I mean, the actors who have worked for her adore her.
1: They do, yeah. It's kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> but as I said, I've interviewed her. I met her in 1983 in California. I used to call her the Babe in Black because she always wore black. <laughs> and then, you know, I saw her at, at Guiding Light. And then I when she was at Another World, she summoned me down there to see her police sets. you uh-huh. know. And then after that, she went to One Life and she... Killed my show, and I, boy, I really laced into her, and that was the end of that. <laughs> so who knows, you know? She's just uh, a mystery. She's just a <laughs> character, like Paul Roush. They're <laughs> the great, great great daytime characters.
0: <laughs> and isn't it funny that they've all been connected to this show? Paul Roush, John Convoy, John Oh, well, everyone.
1: But it's not just that. It's everyone. If you look uh-huh. down the cast list going back like 30 years, everyone has been on Guiding Light. It's it, it's It's really amazing, you know? Uh Mary Stewart, who was the starfish for Tomorrow for 100 years, she was on Guiding Light. Yeah. You know, Vincent Irizarry was on Guiding Light. Everyone was on Guiding Light. It's kind of like the people mothership.
0: Like, people like James Earl Jones. And oh, yeah, and well, Kevin that was Bacon. before my time, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh-huh, that was before my time. I'm talking about people we see, you know, people, the soap stars that we know. You know, they've all been on Guiding Light.
0: So back to Alexandra just for a minute. Did Marge Duce's utter triumph in that role... Kind of ease the sting a little bit of Beverly's, you know, sudden departure.
1: Well, you know, nobody could replace Beverly. Okay, and you know, Marge is great, and um, she's just different. And a lot of people yeah. like Marge. And also, she had been on Capitol before as Myrna Clegg, and she was wonderful in that role. So she brought new fans to that show. So I don't think anybody stopped watching. But she wasn't Beverly. Yeah. She, and she's been there all. You know, look all the years she's, she's 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 uh, persisted. Sure. And being there.
0: Critical Condition, August 10th, 1993, Guiding Light, Six Crises.
1: <laughs> I
0: quote you, although Emmy winner Ellen Parker was a bravura actress, I always thought Maureen was a real stick in the mud.
1: <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I, you know, I
0: could help her that. She was never the heart of the show the way Burt Bauer was. Uh,
1: talk about killing off
0: uh, Maureen Bauer. In retrospect, was that a mistake?
1: Well, again, none of us were on the set, okay? I, I just was not... I know she's a really good actress, and I know she's done a lot of Broadway. But I just was not a fan of the character. I just thought she was kind of thorny. Okay, and it was a shock. It was a real shock that she was killed off. And you know, I think the
0: the the outcry over that move from from critics, from fans, was uh, incredible. And it's clear that Jill Phelps and company weren't expecting that to be the case.
1: Well, that's what happens. You know, think of what happened when she killed off Frankie Frame on Another World so brutally. Okay, you know, she just, you know, you're a producer, you have the power to do that. And, But in terms of, you know, I just wasn't a big fan of hers. She was not warm, you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Bert Bauer was warm. She was mom. She was everything. And I just didn't think that, you know, that that Ellen Parker was so wonderful. And I just said, well, if they killed her, they killed her. But, you know, everybody has an opinion. Yeah. I wrote that. See, he was very brave, don't you think? <laughs> But the thing is, I wrote that before everybody else said, "Oh, we loved her." You, yeah, know, you know, I just was kind of like out there all the time, and I just that was fun.
0: You were one of the few critics, if not the only one, who came out and said that it was a justified move
1: story-wise. Ah, uh, that was the story where Lillian had breast cancer, mm-hmm. right? And, and then and he, Ed had a fling. She had had a fling, and then during, the, we, during
0: the blackout, I think wasn't it, or, or was it not?
1: Probably. Joe loved yeah. that kind of thing. The blackout then, was Jim Riley came up with the blackout, by the way. And then everybody has done blackouts since then. And um, what and happened? Then, I, I don't remember exactly what happened. She got run over by a car, right?
0: No, she. Uh, Lillian wrote her a letter. Uh-huh. And Maureen read it, and then she went up to the Bower cabin, and then Ed followed her up there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: They had a big blowout, and then Maureen left to drive back home, and her car slipped on some ice on a bridge and, and went over the bridge. And
1: How convenient, right? <laughs> No, I mean it up. the st- no, no, I mo, mean, mo. Obviously it upped I mean obviously up the stakes for Lillian, and you know created fantastic. Fan- Peter Simon is an amazing actor. You I have know no he's just brilliant, it. and it created fabulous stuff for him. You know no matter what the politics are, but a lot of people just thought that to kill off a Bower was wrong, because <laughs> there were very few Bowers left at that point, mm-hmm. and the Bowers were the, fan- you know, were the founding, were the founding family and also ellen dolan who was on as the world turns now who plays margo was the original yes Yes. and i liked her a lot better
0: <laughs> you know the popular opinion is that the show never recovered from that and and oh the, i don't think that that's the it internal dynamic of the show was never the same after that and you know if if you consider and uh, you know I, I i take what you say that that she was never mom but you know if you consider that no one ever stepped into that role of earth mother after Maureen was gone, is there something to that idea or no?
1: No, it's a very simplistic explanation because, as I said, Guiding Light died by a thousand cuts. That was one of them. I mean, there were so many others. That was just one. You know, the tele- I could talk about that. You know, the television. Um, everything changed when Cable came in, okay? Everything changed, and it's not when you kill off one character, it kills the show. Yeah. There are a lot of different factors corporation of P&G, the way the show is managed, um, the way the show is publicized. It's not just story. You know, when Luke and Laura got to be famous, the reason they were famous was not because it was only a good story. It was because ABC had the best and most professional um, public relations team in the world, and they really sold that story big time. So there's always a lot of factors involved, and I think that's a mistake to always ascribe it to one little thing, and especially with Guiding Lions.
0: Talk about Justin Dees. You know, his greatness is beyond dispute, but when he came to Guiding Light, the entire show seemed to revolve around him for a time.
1: Well, Uh, you know, Justin was one of of Jill's great favorites. He had been on Santa Barbara. Sure. He played Keith Timmons, who was absolutely nuts, DA. And I remember when he came to Guiding Light because, you know, he came in and, you know, they, they thought he was dead and he was Holly's father, which is a wonderful role. And he's just really great. You know, he's a fantastic actor. I mean, I didn't write about Guiding Life this year very much, and I wrote one column, and it yeah. was about Justin Dees. Because yeah. he's really, a, you know, he is worth the six Emmys, I think. <laughs> I just read an, uh, an interview that my friend Michael Logan did with him, where, you know, it's fantastic. It's on TV. I can't believe I'm patting another. You know, but I've, Logan and I have known each other for 30 years. And, but it's a really great interview on TV Guide with Justin Dees. He's, he's a good actor. He's a character. He is just, like, a genius, and we were, lu- we're lucky to have him, or we're lucky to have him.
0: You know, he's, he's one of the few actors on that show that has been able to completely transcend the uh, ridiculousness of their new production model this year.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I haven't watched a lot of it, but, you know, good acting can do that. <laughs> That's why you know, acting is a skill.
0: I mean, watching his performances during the during the whole thing with Coop's death.
1: That's right, I wrote it, about it that, was, too.
0: It was unbelievable what, what he managed to pull off.
1: I wrote a column, yeah, I wrote a column about that, and I said, I can't believe, you know, that was when Philip was coming back, and I wrote this column, like, you know, because they had advertised Philip was coming back, and I wrote this column saying, you know, with all due respect to Grant Alexander, who was a great actor, they should have put, you know, <laughs> why put all the money into him when Justin Deese just wiped the floor with everyone, and so many people were angry, but it was true. They should have advertised him, but he wants to interview, interviews, so I guess that might have been part of it, usually. He only did Michael, because Michael did a great interview with him about 25 years ago, which I remembered and wrote about recently. <laughs> but, you know, he, I'm really, you know, when the show goes off, he, he, I can't see him on the soap again. Can you?
0: Oh, no. The, I mean, no.
1: You never know. You know, you never know. But I'm really, he's somebody I'm really upset about losing. I met him, you know, I've talked to him, and, you know, he was, you know, Justin Dees, he was, I I was there during the 7th Street fire. Do you remember that? With Uh Elaney? They had us go up to the studio and they did the fire and he was there and I was interviewing him like between acts. And what happened was they set the fire and then they couldn't put it out. So they had to throw everybody out of the studio. So I was talking to Justin Dees in the street, you know, and I was nervous. He was kind of, you know, he was interesting. He's just like. Uh, an interesting you know very new he's a very new york guy even though i don't think he's from new york he's very um opinionated but he's very shy too very shy
0: you know uh, back in 95 a lot of people said that that he stole Brad Mall's Emmy the emmy that Brad Mall you know deserved for, for
1: his oh movie. yeah I yeah i wouldn't uh, well you know he had nothing to do with it he just was up there absolutely
0: what Brad Mall was fabulous he earned that Emmy for those performances during that fire.
1: Oh yeah, uh huh, definitely. But Bradwell was wonderful. You know that's why I hate Emmys and all that. <laughs> no, it's really hard to, to 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 compare them. You know, I feel bad for Bradwell. He worked his heart out, and he had to go home to Texas. You know, it's so sad.
0: So talk about the the uh, the Megan McTavish Michael Leibson years. You know, you were initially very, <laughs> you, were, you were initially very supportive of their time on the show, but then they all into in the plot-driven madness. Um,
1: Well, you know, that's a... a, It's not, again... I knew Megan, okay? She was working on All My Children. She was like Agnes's had trained her, and I knew her, uh and I had interviewed her, and she went to Guiding Light. And, you know, so I knew her, and so I watched it. She was fine on All My Children, and all of a sudden, you know, the plot just got really stupid, and... I came up with this analogy that, and you could see this on other soaps since then. This was like 96, 97, when the ratings started to really go down on all the soaps. You know, in order to get the audience back, they decided that you have to beat the drum. In other words, you know, have big plots that make a lot of noise, like you're seeing on on, on all my on the ABC shows now. So she started writing all these really empty, gimmicky plots, and I couldn't understand this because, you know, I had known her and I knew she was okay and, And, you know, so I just decided to hell with this. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to turn on her. I'm going to write the truth. And I wrote this thing called the hollow drum. That's funny because all drums are hollow. But, um, and I wrote this thing and, uh, oh my God, everybody went nuts. People went nuts, Um, especially her. (coughs) I didn't hear from her, but I did in a kind of a roundabout way. But, but it was the truth. I'm sorry. You know, but that was, if you look back on it, if you look at the history of daytime going down, that was around the time. She just yes. kind of took the bull by the horns. And now, I don't know if you've seen her, if you've got her, she has a website. She lives in, like, the biggest house in Connecticut, so she made lots of dough. <laughs>
0: you know, when she came to the show, they they put a poor actor by the name of Frank Beatty through the, an emotional ringer trying oh. to buzz for the show. And it worked in the short term, but did it damage them in the long term, in your opinion?
1: Do I have to tell that story? All right. I interviewed Frank Beatty, Came in as who did he play? He was uh, Brent Lawrence. Brent. It was a, it was the first real gimmick story we've had, he, had a lot since then. Yeah. He raped
0: Alan Michael's wife Lucy, and then uh, uh, he oh, was supposedly Lucy. killed, and then came back from the dead.
1: And oh, he was, and he came back. Okay, he was a man, right? And he came yeah. back as a woman. Yes. This is my best story ever. Um, the to torment Lucy. Yes. Okay. You no, know,
0: it was it was a, I mean it was a it was a great buzzworthy plot. It got them a lot of attention, but.
1: Well, also gave him a nervous breakdown. I interviewed him. um, I guess it was when he first came on the show, and I thought he was really nice, you know, and really sweet. And, you know, I didn't know what happened, you know, like when he left and he came back. And um, years later, I did hear that, that you know, they had actually sent him to a school to learn how to be like a a woman. You know, there's a school in New York where, you know, I think a lot of, like, um, transgender people go. Uh-huh. And they, it's called Miss Veronica, Miss Veronica something, and they had sent him. I mean, they really took a lot of time with him to teach him, you know, how to do the story. And um, and then, you know, all of a sudden he was gone. And when he came back as a woman, it was shocking. It was really, really shocking. But there's a real reason why it's really, it was really, really shocking. You know what that is? Yes, I do. <laughs> and why don't you say it? Because I'm not going to say. See, I, I I publicized this story. Yes. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, the rumor was, and I don't know that it's ever been confirmed, but the rumor was that they dressed him up to make him look like Jill Farron Phelps, who had just been fired from the Guiding Light executive producer position. And so it was basically, it all amounted to a big in-house kind of vent.
1: Um, I can confirm that because it was told <laughs> to me by one of, a head writer we all know and love. <laughs> that, that's so shocking to me. I didn't recognize her when, when they had it, but I thought, you know... It's, it was a funny joke, but I felt so sorry for him because you know, where is he? What has he done? He was so nice.
0: You know, I mean, they they put him through a real ringer, and you know, he I, I I understand that when when the role was done, he was so exhausted that he, you know, he just had to drop out for a time and and just you know, completely decompress. Well, it's such a horrible. Don't you think it's a horrible story?
1: <laughs> All around, you know, it really no, I is mean,
0: horrible. It, you know, if you're not connected to it, it's hilarious. But if if you know all the backstory and all the players, it's horrifyingly cruel.
1: Well, yeah, especially this poor actor. You know, I mean, everybody else has been in daytime forever, and he was new. You know, and I can't believe he got away with it.
0: <laughs> and you know, I mean, it, it, he did a great job. He got an Emmy nomination. You know, but that's that's not enough in the
1: yeah, in the, it's in really a, it's that's
0: not it's enough.
1: A, it's a real sad footnote in soap history. Really sad. You know, and I just happened to find out about it because I knew knew the head writer at the time, and he he told me about it. So because I didn't recognize her when you know I didn't recognize her as being Jill at the time, so I found out maybe two or three years later. Wow. And now I've told other people.
0: <laughs> so, talk about uh, Michael Zaslow's departure from the show. You know, it was and and the way that he. Was oh no! I, well, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't. Talk about another incalculable
1: loss well Zazla was amazing um if you ever want to have a real laugh about rent movie called you light up my life you know this, that song it was based on a movie he's the lead in it I actually saw it it's one of the worst movies of all time with D.D. Kahn yes and he's yeah. the male lead he's the male lead okay Zazz was, I guess very, I never I only had one little encounter with him and and um you know I don't think he was the most pleasant person, and, and, but he's a fantastic actor, and he made that show go, you know, he helped make that show go, Uh and let's see, his departure was another ugly story from time, and, you know, you should probably talk to Michael Logan about that, because he is the one that did the story on it, I was not involved in the story, Um, you know, that Michael, of course, had ALS, and uh, I think that the show didn't want to continue with him. And, uh, of course, one life to live, you mainly picked him up. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a really ugly, ugly time because uh, I think Mary Al- Alice Doria who I knew, mm-hmm. made some kind of a not very nice remark when she, um, Michael interviewed her, and she was forever branded awful. And I knew her, and it was very uncharacteristic of her. I don't remember exactly what she said, but, again, it was, you know. Yeah, it, a- was
0: something, it was something to the to the effect of that, they couldn't have a Roger on their canvas who was a who was a weazened old man. You know, he needed to be strong and
1: you know, something it's just it's it's so weird to me because, you know, she's not I, I just knew her and she doesn't seem like the kind of person that would say something like that. But obviously if Michael went ahead with it, she said it. So uh but it you know, it didn't help her and again it's ugliness, you know, it's ugliness. Yeah. Could
0: it have been one of those times where you know, they had a they had a an hour long conversation, and he just picked that one quote out, or or
1: uh, Michael's a good journalist. Um, maybe I mean it's pretty shocking. As I said, you'd have to ask him. He has all the insight on this one. But
0: d- just talk about in general what his loss did to the canvas. I mean, there was a hole in that canvas that you know never got filled, in the same way that 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 Beverly's hole never got filled, and Maureen's hole never got filled.
1: Well, you know, I don't think there was a big super villain, you know, after him. I mean, Alan Spalding, and I wanted to talk about the first Alan Spalding, because that was before your time, and I remember him well, Chris Burnell, You know, you always knew a villain, and I think that, um, you know, even though Ron Reigns was, you know, came along and was great, um you know, there was only you know uh, they had two villains at once, you know, and they only and and it was, he was definitely missed, you know, and I don't think there was a big villain after that, do you?
0: Oh no, unquestionably.
1: You know, and and he wasn't just a villain; he was just really messed up psychologically, and that's how Michael played him, and it really worked. He wasn't just like you know, Stefano D'Amara, who 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 I'll get you, you know. He was a messed up person. Uh huh. And it was a tr- that's a real tragedy, real tragedy.
0: Okay, I'm going to quote you again. Critical condition, February 10th, 1997. Guiding light, cha-cha-cha-cha changes. No matter how good guiding light may become under the new management of Paul Roush, (laughs) I'm not watching it if it becomes the Reva in a red dress show again. Oh, well. Talk talk about Reva. You know, not so much lately, but back in the day you were very vocal and very blunt about your lack of affection for the one and only Reva Shane. Okay, I've grown up a little. I think Kim took your criticisms personally.
1: I think so, too, but um, you know, I don't I, know. You're going to have Pam later, okay? Yeah, I'm Pam, having Pam
0: Long on my show tonight. And yeah, I'll and I'll tell you bench.
1: my Pam Long story, but my lack of affection for Reva was, and again, you know, when you're a critic, especially in soaps, you have to separate yourself from the character, and I didn't, you know, she just wasn't my kind of gal, you know? She was <laughs> crass and big-mouthed and, you know, slutty and, you know, and I just, didn't like her and i think you weren't you know i think there was a part where you were were not supposed to like her you know and um what in the beginning she married everybody (laughs) and i think personally i didn't like her and i couldn't stand the fact that she was on all the time especially i guess in the beginning of paul I, i had forgotten i had written that and uh but you know over the years you know Kim. You know, her spirit is one of the things that kept that show going. And even though I still don't like Reva very much, um, you know, she has a huge part in that show's history. She just wasn't my kind of, she wasn't Vicky to me, like one life to live. But, you know, that's the thing that a lot of people don't get. If you do self criticism, you have to separate yourself. And that's hard to do. Uh
0: Uh-huh. You know, as as you said, I'm having Pam Long on my show tonight, and I'll wager that a good measure of our conversation will focus on Riva because she is Pam's most famous creation, without question.
1: Well, uh, yes, yes, she was. <laughs> but, but I knew Pam we before she was on Guiding Light.
0: <laughs> Tell me your Pam Long story.
1: You'll love this. Um, I was an editor of this magazine called Afternoon TV, which was a monthly, and we had all these color pages, and we we're always looking at ways to to, to uh, fill them. This must have been about 1982 or so. So NBC, which had tons and tons of money, decided they would that we would all go out on a boat one day. myself, my assistant, and this new actress named Pamela K. Long, who had been Miss Alabama in the in the Miss America contest. Okay, and okay. we we would do what, what what they say in the old days. They would never do now called cheesecake pictures. You know what those are? Uh, no, tell me. Cheesecake pictures is like when a girl in the old days, because it's it's very you know sexist now, but you know, and somebody like Pam, who was young and beautiful, was pose in a bathing suit. So we took her out. It was a beautiful day in, in New York. And NBC paid for the boat. Think about it. They can't even pay for coffee now. <laughs> and they took us out on the boat. And Pam, like, was in a bathing suit, and she was doing all these poses. And I was saying, oh, my God, how did I get into this, you know? And it was fun. And little did we know that Pam would go on to Guiding Light and, you know, become this great head writer. At that point, she was only... She was playing this character named Ashley on um, Texas, and she basically took over the show. And who knew? Who knew? But I remember Pammy and her cheesecake days, <laughs> and I have great respect for her because she did a really great job on Guiding Light. I thought. I mean, Reva is not my gal, but she did. It. She brought real passion, real passion to that show. He, she's kind of. Sure. Reva's kind of like a cut-rate Scarlett O'Hara to me. <laughs> you know, uh, talk about that for a minute. Is, is Kim Zimmer's
0: place in daytime history because? She's such a great actress who can play anything, or because Reva was a great character?
1: No, because Kim had other roles before Reva. She was on The Doctor, she played Nola, she played Echo du Savoy on One Life, and I think that that's probably how she will be remembered, you know, but, you know, who knows, it might not be over yet. Maybe somebody else is going to hire her, you never know.
0: You know, it's, she's a marquee name, there's no question about it.
1: Right, definitely, and you know, historically, as you know, with Linda Dano, they like to bring people from canceled shows onto other shows to get Mm -hmm. their audience. Mm -hmm.
0: Talk about the clone. Was that the beginning of the end of this show, or Uh, that that ridiculous storyline?
1: Paul. the whole era when Paul was there was very divisive, okay, (laughs) because the ratings were going down. It was that slide, you know. And, you know, Guiding Light was a very traditional show, and they wanted to do something to beat the drum, so they came up with this clone <laughs> thing. They also had the worst writers in history, Brown and Essence, them. The worst. The most talentless. The rudest. And um, I guess they came up with this story, and I just thought it was out of their... It didn't belong on Guiding Light. It had nothing to do with Guiding Light. It was stupid. Um, I just Hated it, hated it, hated it. But there were people like people at my magazine who uh-huh. loved it. Okay, so there was like and, this war.
0: You know, a, a fair number of critics lo- and fans loved it, too. I mean, you know, you were immediately out front and criticizing it immediately.
1: Well, but- it's, it's not. it doesn't go on Guiding Lion. It's not Star Trek. You know, and at the time, the only thing that had been cloned was a sheep named Dolly, and they named her Dolly. So I just thought it was just insane. It was insane. <laughs> Especially she, you know, she got younger, she got older. Oh, it was just ridiculous. Why couldn't they just do a twin story? Why did they have to make it the clone? <laughs> you know, it's it was just insulting. <laughs> but you see, they were trying to beat the drum for higher so, ratings, just like they so do today.
0: So was that the beginning of the end, or did they did they recover from it? Okay.
1: Well, I don't know. I don't know if the clone story did it, but I think that the ratings just kept going down, down, down. And, um, you know, at that point, they had brought in all the people from ABC to run the show. Mickey was at Procter & Gamble and my friend Rody Rosenzweig, who was uh, the publicist at One Life to Live. They named Rody after her. Mm -hmm. She came to the social day, all the ABC people there, and uh, even they could not lift the show. (laughs) No, it's sad. It really is sad because people love that show. They love that show. I, You know, I had a group of fan friends, you know, for, who I'm still friendly with. We used to meet online and intelligent fans. And it was really painful to watch, like, The Clone and things mm-hmm. after that. You know, definitely, definitely painful. Again, it wasn't all the show. It was the show in response to what was happening. And... And, you know, and I put, was up to see Paul several times during that era, and it was a very strange era.
0: How should Ellen Wheeler feel about her time at Guiding Light? I mean, yes, the show died on her watch, but she still accomplished some truly magnificent things in her five-year tenure as executive producer. And, you know, given the constraints that she and that cast have had to work under, it's pretty miraculous that any good work was able to be done there.
1: Yeah, considering they had no money. Sure. <laughs> considering, you know... No money, no
0: no sets, no anything. No nothing,
1: yeah. I don't know, you know, I think that, you know, the jury will be out on Ellen for a long time. I, I first interviewed her when she came on to Another World in, like, 1983 when she was dating Tom Eplin. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and she's been in daytime as long as I have. So, yeah. you know, she's had a long career. And, you know, as I said, I have not seen her. You know, I know that a lot of the other bloggers have seen her. But, um, you know, she... She put everything she had into it. The only thing that bothered me is, did you see Sixty Minutes this week? I did. I was going to ask you about that next.
0: I was going to.
1: Well, I hated it. But before I tell you what I hated about it, Ellen Wheeler cried on Sixty Minutes. You know, she's an executive producer of a television show. You know, like there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in being an executive producer. Oh, I look like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> no, seriously, I thought it was really bad. You know, like they were they were laughing at soap operas anyway in that piece. You know, to have the producer come on and cry? Give me a break. You know, it's like, like having your doctor cry or a lawyer <laughs> cry.
0: <laughs> Talk to me about that. You know, this isn't an exact quote, so I'm sorry, Ellen, but one of the things she said on that 60 Minutes piece was something to the extent of, You know, when we do something good, we don't have time to congratulate ourselves, and when we do something bad, we don't have time to fret about it. Doesn't that just back up my assertion the last time we spoke on this show, that the main goal in daytime right now is just to get something on the air, regardless of its quality?
1: Oh, you can't ask for anything sadder. You really can't. You can't ask for anything more sad. (laughs) You know, really, I mean, when you look at the quality of 1992 and you compare it to now... Plus, you know, all the production values have gone down the drain. I mean, uh, you know, I had um, a friend gave me a call last night, somebody who loves soaps, has watched them since, since like 1960. And he's a production executive of TVS, and he's like, he loves soaps. And he's like Marlene's best pal. And he called me, <laughs> he hadn't watched Guiding Lights since the new production model came in. And this is a kind, wonderful man. And he said, and he went, the hair, the makeup. You know, guiding right you to the state on radio. How did they put that on the air, you know? And, and, and I mean, he just went on and on and on for like an hour. And I said, it's been on for a year and a half. <laughs>
0: you,
1: you know, and, and I'm not a fan of the new production model myself, which is one of the reasons I never wrote about it.
0: Critical condition, July 20th, 1999. It's not only a soap. Wasn't the amount of publicity the last episode of Another World evoked startling? All those stories on another world cancellation in newspapers, on radio, on TV. Marlena humbly asks, "Why does the mainstream press pay more attention to the death of a soap than it ever does to the life of one?"
1: So I don't remember writing that. That's so bizarre. <laughs> well, no, I'll you, tell you why. Because I'm, te- well, I'm
0: you know, you've written more. You've written for and have been a prestigious member of the mainstream press for most of your entire professional life.
1: Oh yeah. So uh-huh.
0: Answer, answer your own question.
1: Well, now I am a journalism professor, and tomorrow I'm teaching a class on what makes news, and, you know, what makes news is something that's unusual or unique or people can't believe or they think is strange or weird, and, you know, a soap opera that runs for 35 years or 73 years that gets canceled, that's weird, okay? It's a story. It's a good story because people go, ha-ha. You see what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. Or people like you and I cry. So it's a very good story. But, you know, the same thing with Guiding Light. It just angered me how many stories there have been on Guiding Light's cancellation. I wrote this months ago, months and months and months ago. Where are the stories in the mainstream press now yes. when we need them? Yes. But, you know, the press is not our cheerleader. They're, you know, they just cover the news. And, sure. there is, you know, they there is someone called a press person at Guiding Light who goes out and gets these stories and plants them. And
0: so what has happened to that? What has happened to that way of thinking? You know, I remember when... When uh, Linda Gottlieb took over One Life to Live, and she got her, she got her machine working full force to promote that show. Well, what happened to that? What happened to that way of thinking?
1: Well, Linda Gottlieb was a different story because she had never been in the industry and she came from Hollywood. She was a Hollywood producer and wanted to wanted to publicize it as a movie. Okay, and she came in and said, "Oh, I'm better than anybody else in daytime," and she <laughs> made an an enemy out of yours truly, and there was a huge <laughs> fight that went on for about three years. Okay. <laughs> Which ended in a draw and a friendship. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, and she also had an excellent publicist who was Rory Rosenthal who was a brilliant publicist who I worked with, and she was very smart. And they decided to try other things that had never been tried in soap. So that's why they got so much publicity. But they got it for the life of the soap, not for the death of the soap. She had a really good publicist. And she staged things that were really great. That Ace quote was the best thing I ever... I ever saw in daytime yeah. as, you know she really you know i mean i really had problems with her personally but you know she was hollywood you know and she had never been in daytime before and i think that pretty much like sums it up
0: critical condition june ninth, 1999 last episodes always make me cry
1: did i write that
0: yes you did oh i didn't know that what did what? i which, which shows did i write about i don't remember that uh, one. you wrote about the, the end of another world mm-hmm uh, last episodes of canceled daytime soaps are invariably sad events because most of the time it is very much the culmination of a long life. You know, yep. nothing, could, nothing could be truer here. So tell me about Connie Heyman and what the final episode of Guiding Light is going to make her do.
1: Well, <laughs> I was watching a little bit this week, and it's interesting to me because the place they had that wedding, is we've been looking for, my husband and I have been looking for a house in that area, and we know that area in Lake Mohawk in New Jersey very well. And it makes me want to buy a house. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought the wedding was of wedding, and I was touched. But then, you know, I hadn't watched the show in a while, and it was like, Lillian and Buzz, you know? <laughs> but then they had Tina Sloan doing the at Maureen's gravesite, and that was uh-huh. just brilliant. I'll cry. I will cry. I'm sure they will write something that will evoke tears. You know, everybody who was on that show has worked on it, and it means a lot to everyone, you know, and they are just as, you know, I always cry. I mean, it's just too much for me. I mean, you spent so much time with all these people for all these years. And, you know, it's 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 just, you know, a heartbreak. And I think that Friday will be a heartbreak for a lot of people.
0: Absolutely. Did you see it yesterday?
1: Um, what happened yesterday? I think I was in class. Uh, somebody died yesterday. <gasps> oh, yes! Oh, I'm sorry. I <laughs> mean to screaming in your ear. I didn't see it, but I heard
0: about it, and you I watched today. That was- that was stunning to me because I ha- I haven't read any of the spoilers for this week and I have no idea what's going to happen. And that well, was you see stung.
1: how how great stuffs all without spoilers. You know, I've been campaigning for that for a long time. When I first <laughs> started, <laughs> no, when you're surprised, it makes a soap a hundred times better. And I think, I you know what I think? I think it's I want to put money on the fact that they're going to have an Italian kiss on the last on the last <laughs> episode. I really do think they're going to do it. I hope they do it. They, they they ought to do it. They should do it. And they I hope they will. Killing Alan, I was surprised, See, isn't surprise a great emotion oh it was it was stunning, I mean it was well, like that's what felt were like every day in the old days before spoilers
0: it was like a gut punch the way it would be in real life. it was exactly the well, same. that's
1: what soaps used to have that they don't have anymore. Imagine having that every other day, every week pretty so, powerful, huh <laughs>
0: it was i mean it was truly unbelievable, truly, uh-huh. And, well, you know, I'm, I mean, I've read all the spoilers for all the other soaps that I watch, and so, you know, I, I know what's coming. But I, I, for some reason, I hadn't read any this week about the final week of Guiding Light, and it was just unbelievable.
1: Well, you know, I remember, like, Mimi would, this is the one thing Mimi would never let me write. Spoilers, spoil folks, you know. And she said, well, we're making money yet doing it. But it's true, they spoil folks. So wasn't it really much better not to know?
0: Yes, it was. I mean, it was, like I said, it was, it was a gut punch, just the way it would be yeah. in real life.
1: Yeah, Alan, what a character. <laughs> Could I just say one thing about the original Alan folding sure. before Ryan? I like Ron. Ron is great, but the original Alan Spaulding, Chris Burnow, who died in about oh, I don't know, about nineteen eighty nine. He was the sexy he was like an older gentleman, he was like forty five. And he was not great looking, and he was an amazing actor. He was so sexy and it had nothing to do with his look. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It was all about his sex appeal, and he was amazing, amazing. He, at the same time he was on Guiding Light, he was playing um, Dracula downtown in an off-Broadway show. And you know he came when the Spoelings came in. He married the daughter of the Bowers, Hope Bower. So that kind of cemented the two families for the first time. Okay. But then, but then uh, Chris, Burnt, but then Alan went out and had an affair with this woman named Rita, Rita Bell, who was married to Ed. And you know they had their adultery in this this uh, location they did in Jamaica, which I could tell you about. And it was the hottest thing I've ever seen on soaps, and everybody had their clothes on. It was all acting. It was all acting. And Chris Burnham was a fantastic actor, and he died too young.
0: So take Guiding Light at its pinnacle. Decide whatever its pinnacle was and just take that and tell me where you would rank Guiding Light at its pinnacle in the annals of soap history. I mean, take, take late 60s, another world. Take classic Marland as the world turns. Take Claire Labine's GH years. Take classic Malone on One Life to Live. Where would you rank Guiding Light's pinnacle in that lineup, in that list?
1: Well, you have to understand that I started watching in 1980. That show started in 1937, and I think a lot of people are not remembering back, like, before they watched the show. So I don't know. You know, there might have been something between 1937 and 1980 that I didn't see. So I just wanted to clarify that when people look back, it's not only your time watching, you know.
0: Sure.
1: And But I don't know yeah. where I would rank it. Um,
0: just, just for you, just for your own personal uh, amusement, <laughs> I mean... I,
1: well, my favorite story of all time was Alice, Rachel, and Steve on Another World, 1969, <laughs> you know, uh, and I love that. You know, nobody remembers that, except for Agnes, who wrote it. Um, I would, you know, it's, it's hard. I, I, I'm i not into ranking, but I would say Guiding Light would be, you know, number two or three, wow. three or four. You know, I never thought about it all. There have been so many stories.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but, you know, I mean, you've, you've, uh, uh made a great living talking about you know the greatness of soaps past and so i was just wondering you know just for my own personal amusement i was wondering where you would put guiding lights best
1: what do you mean in, in a number
0: or no just uh, just in terms of the best of daytime as a whole where guiding light it's all be.
1: opinion you know it's all opinion you know some people yeah. think general hospital is the greatest some people think another world is the greatest you know it's whatever you think is the greatest you know <laughs> personally for me I always thought that all my children was the greatest, but not now. You know, all my children in the 70s and 80s, I loved. I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. You know, but there are other things I loved. I loved all and beautiful in the beginning. I loved all the ones you just noticed, you know. mentioned, Claire, you know, General Hospital. I mean, these are riches. We should celebrate them all.
0: Absolutely. So how did you know that I was going to ask you about All My Children next? Oh, I didn't. (laughs) It didn't. Talk about the other soaps that that uh, have been on this summer. You know, your beloved all my children continues sinking into a vat of other. It's not my
1: beloved all my children anymore. I can't even watch it. I just, just no. I'm serious. It's you know. I just. It's like it's like another. As I said, you know, it's like another soap. It's not my soap. And I feel bad for the actors, and moving to California, I think, is the dumbest thing I could ever do, and I'm probably the only person that feels that way, because another because all my children have always, like, fed off of a New, lo- new York locale. you know, it was a New York show, it was a smart show, it was a character show, and to move to California, I mean, I'm not trying to insult my friends in California, but, you know, it's kind of a show that's like Agnes, who is, like, very smart and funny, you know, she's of, even though she's from Nashville and lives in Pennsylvania... She is of Manhattan and has an apartment in Manhattan. And All My Children, to me, is not Melrose Place.
0: <laughs> well, you know, in talking about New York, I mean, if you think back on all the great, you know, character actors that have gone through the All My Children stage over the years, filling out their character parts, uh-huh. I mean, it's unbelievable.
1: I know. I did a big story. If anybody wants to read about it, it's www.theatermania.com. I did a huge story on Theater Mania about all the, you know, the Broadway people who came in because they could, you know, because they can come through for a day, like Chip Zia and our um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. All My Children always had a great, fantastic casting director. Fantastic.
0: And now with Guiding Light going off the air and All My Children going west and, you know, rumors about As the World Turns Shaky Future, there may just be one soap left in New York when the dust it's, settles. It's nauseating. It
1: really is. You know, it's, you know the day um, I got my new job, Nigel Bartholomew Smythe, um, I I took him out to walk, and there's a guy who never spoke to me for 20 years, and he saw my dog, and he told me he was an ABC, you know, guy who was in my building he was an ABC stagehand, and he, he told me all the good stuff about, you know, going to California and why they did it, and, and, you know, and they're putting a lot of people out of work. And I'm not just talking about, you know, they're putting like 400 people out of work. That's a tragedy it's in, unbelievable. in New York. It really is. It's really sad. You know, I just, we just, and one Life to live is here too. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's really bad for New York, and I think it's really bad for the soaps. You know, New York is a character, and it's involved in, in, in a, in a lot of the soaps. It's not, you know, it's not, outwardly, then subliminally. You know, it's not involved in Bold and Beautiful, but you know, I think that, you know, same thing with As the World Turns, and you know, they had great New York actors too, mm-hmm. always. You know, and I think it's very sad to, to desert New York at this point for everyone.
0: So, my, my friend Joanne is in the chat room. She hosts uh, Stardust Radio on this network, and
1: uh-huh.
0: she's asking you to pull out your crystal ball and predict what the worst thing uh, could be that will happen from this move.
1: Move to New York?
0: Yeah, no, the, uh, the All My Children move West. What's the worst thing that that could happen from this?
1: It'll become days of our lives. <laughs> I'm not a bass fan you know to me like days is kind of bland and and i don't know to me all my children even the worst writers had more of like a a hip sophisticated edge. even with the bad writers so um i think that's the word it could become days or melrose place or charlie's angels or it's well on its way what
0: it's well on its way
1: it's well on its way yeah i think that's it and i feel bad for all the really good actors on that show so, what was your favorite show this summer? What was the, what was the one that you <laughs> none? I, you know, I really, I kind of took the summer off because you know we and uh, you know I watched you know I think the two shows that everybody was watching this summer was Young and Restless and One Life and um, which one do you want me to talk about? Uh, both. Well, which where do you want to start?
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know. We're talking about ABC. Let's let's go with One Life.
1: Well, One Life is entertaining. You know, I have, like, really severe problems with One Life, certain aspects of it. And at least you could watch it, and it's entertaining. You know, they're still writing kind of classic soaps. And, you know, what happened this summer? They brought on that wonderful girl, Destiny. And what else did they do this summer? I can't even remember. What, what were their big plots? Kish? Oh, they
0: have, the, they have the, over, the undercover drug thing.
1: Oh, I don't like the end of that. But, you know, I like Kish. I think Kish is great.
0: Yeah, You know, that, that has the potential to be a really great story. I no, mean, oh, I
1: think it's good, really well-written and well-acted. As and we
0: talked about last time, it's kind of islanded unto itself right now, and they and they need to work on that.
1: I agree it? with you. I but agree it has the potential
0: to be a really great, fascinating story.
1: Mm-hmm. And then we have the blight of Stacy and her new friend. What's her friend's name, the girl from Gossip Girl? I don't remember. The... Oh, man. They, they should be, like, on a poster in Times Square, of ashamed to be women. No, it really bothers me. They are like the lowest of the low. You you don't understand this. Agnes, Claire, everyone worked for years to make women intelligent and respectable on daytime, and they bring on these bimbos. You know, you know, plotting how to get pregnant. I mean, come on. It's not funny. It's tragic. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. To you know, I just, I just. If you know self history, it's like the ultimate rebuke. <laughs> It's like, you know, 50 years of history gone out the window. That's right.
0: Yeah.
1: Lots of cleavage. (laughs) Oh, they are are just the... And they're not even good bad, you know? Like, sometimes, like, they have bad people who are so so bad they're good. They're just bad. (laughs) No, I'm serious. You know, in the beginning, I'm trying to think of people who were so good, so bad they were good, but... Um, I can't think of anyone. That, that's them. They are just bad. They are just an insult.
0: Talk about your beloved Brody being impaled. You were, <laughs> you were completely verklempt over, over the fact that they were going to...
1: Well, know. come on. What is this, a gladiator movie? I mean, come on. No, impaled on daytime? <laughs> you know, I mean, wh- You know. why would they do that? You know, why would they... I know they want to you know create something sensational and they probably have you know long term consequences but impaled <laughs> you know and then you know I thought there were all kinds of undertones to that story and like I didn't really think I even liked Brody all that much you know he has this little sparkle I think he appeals to everyone you know uh-huh. what I mean and impalement I mean <laughs> how sick can you get? it's just really it's just like I don't want to anymore what are they going to do like behead people next (laughs) on camera with a guillotine think about it
0: it could happen you know talk to me about mark lawson he's not the best actor in the world but i think he's He's got a quality he's got a great quality he's such a great character and you know he's i mean he's he's kind of a, a guy's guy but he's also capable of you know great emotion and great sensitivity it's it's kind of the best of all worlds with him
1: Well, they wrote him a good character. They picked up on his personal strengths, I think, and they've made him almost angelic, as I wrote. (laughs) You know, and of course, he's, you know, but that was just, oh, you know, I I just just can't. Anyway, okay, next question.
0: (laughs) You know, in that whole baby switch mess that that played out earlier this summer, his was the performance that really got to me. You know, when when they had left with the baby and Jessica was upstairs in the nursery kind of Uh on the floor crying and he just walked in. That was very nice. Yes, history. I hated
1: that story because I've seen like 153 baby switch stories, you know, including the first one, which was on One Life to Live with uh, Karen and Marco and stuff. And I don't like that story because I've seen it so many times. But I thought that was you—you you hit that one. That's exactly it. You're very very—that's right. He was very good. He has a real tenderness and uh, and a soulfulness, and I think that that shows through, and that's going to take him far, I think.
0: But he's also a guy's guy. I mean, he's a Navy SEAL for crying out loud.
1: I love daytime, you know, that's the best thing. No, you get you always meet these new actors every year and it's just so refreshing. You know? It's just so interesting, you know, the kind of people that you see and meet and, and you know what I'm saying get to interview or you know, who knew? Who knew?
0: And how about Y and R? Are you are you disturbed about where that's headed?
1: Well, yes. <laughs> Because, you know, and I've, I've been promising my readers that I would write about y and and I keep putting it off because, you know, I liked it pretty much during the summer. And, you know, I know Paul. so I knew Paul. I know his, everything he does, and I saw everything he did. And then one day I'm watching, and they killed Zupato, the dog. <laughs> and this is the same week that my husband, Moose, and I got a dog, made a yeah. Nigel Bartholomew slice. And even if we didn't get Nigel that week, it was just a coincidence far a daytime goes but to poison a dog i'm not approved but that's really low don't you think
0: you know i mean it's it's one of those things you don't you don't put children in jeopardy you don't kill pets you know it's 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 one of those kind of unwritten rules of daytime i think
1: well all those rules are being broken right and left now you know i mean you know you don't put children in jeopardy you know, when I wrote that um, I didn't want Michael to get shot on General Hospital, I got like 2,000 letters saying, "Well, why not? It's no big deal. It's just like primetime. time, so killing a dog. I mean, that was that's what I'm saying." So they started to really kind of they really kind of pushing it, out, I think. And this what, um, Patty or Stacy, I mean, she's you know they could just trying to make her the big the big you know new new uh, star of the show and. I don't, I really, I'm not really, so, you know, I I want to see how far they're going to go. It's scary. Aren't they, isn't she going to kill someone this week?
0: Uh, something Something big is happening on September 17th, was it tomorrow? tomorrow.
1: Something big is yes. supposed
0: to happen tomorrow. I mean, I'm well, not sure
1: exactly I, Yeah. Yeah, well, I saw some scenes during the week where she was holding uh, Colleen hostage in in in, uh, in 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 the forest, and it was revolting. But, you know, people think that this sells soap. I don't think so. But you know, this is what they do.
0: So where is the Ashley Adams story headed?
1: Oh, I don't know. I really don't know. I have no idea. I well, lo- you know, I, I...
0: are we heading for another baby switch of some kind with Sharon's baby or no?
1: Oh God, I hope not. Have they ever done a baby switch on Y&R? Uh,
0: well, uh, Sheila and Lauren a hundred years ago. That was...
1: That was a long time ago. I, I hate basic stories. I mean, you know, the first time was enough for me. <laughs> you know, I just don't see the excitement. You know, it worked once, and, you know, how often does it happen in real life?
0: Well, I mean, you know, you hear about the flute case every once in a while, but it's not it's not a common occurrence, I don't think.
1: And also, you know what's going to happen. You know, once you've seen it once, you know exactly what's going to happen. And nobody does it any differently. <laughs>
0: So talk about the Daytime Emmys that were just held a couple weeks ago. You know, you had, you were kind of out front again, you know, Maverick, Marlena. You you kind of liked the Emmys, and everybody else kind of hated them.
1: Well, I liked it because I have been involved with the Daytime Emmys since 1980, and um, we fought for years, 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 to get a respectable Daytime Emmys. Um, there was a terrible Emmys in 84, and a lot of people got together, led by Mimi and uh, Wendy Rich. Mm-hmm formed something called the Image Committee to pressure the Emmys to write a better script for next year. And guess who, got a po- guess who got appointed to work on the Emmys that year to see that they got to write a better script? You did. I did. So I got to watch the Emmys. And, wow. you know, to watch, to work was amazing because I don't, you know, I'm not a TV production person. And... um you know, I just think that it's just been this, this huge struggle that's gone on for years, and most people don't know the first thing about it because most of it was in the 80s and you know, very early 90s. And you know, the fact that this year I was shocked, shocked. I wasn't even going to watch them. That I thought the script was much better. I thought the production was better, even though one of my best friends had worked on the show in other years and was very upset I wrote that, but. I just thought it was very respectful. And I, I was saying, oh, my God, this is what we we're looking for all these years. And meanwhile, everybody else was bitching and moaning that, you know, Bradley Bell didn't get his five minutes. So
0: Exactly.
1: You know, so this to me was the culmination of a lot of daytime history. And I still don't know who who's responsible for making it better.
0: You know, I mean, there's a couple of different names in the mix. There's some people out there kind of, you know, taking credit for things. Yes, yes, I wrote that.
1: Yes, I said this one guy went out and did all the interviews. So, you know, if I was really reporting, I would go out and find that out. But, you know, anybody could write about, oh, they didn't give Bradley Bill enough time. You know, they didn't give blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's not a criticism. The criticism is about the show itself. You know, I'm sorry. I'm being nasty. But I really, really was. Oh, not at all. You know, I just... What could I say? You know, who knows? Is there even going to be a Daytime Emmys next year? You know, years ago, um, Tom... O- Do you know Tom O'Neill?
0: Uh, sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, Tom is a friend, and he's been in my class. We once got together and had a lunch, and we were—we wanted to write a book about the Daytime Emmys. That's how much there was to talk about it. You know, and we were all involved in this big fight, and, you know, it's just shocking that whoever did this did did the right thing.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. It- would it, be, would it be for the best for the Emmys if it went back to, you know, just being kind of a private luncheon with nothing, you know, no cameras, no glitz?
1: I was there. I went to the first – I went to one like that in 1980. It was on camera. It was in the afternoon. They had so much food. <laughs> I remember that because, you know, the network had a lot of money then. They had the biggest spread I've ever seen in my life. And do um, so I think – no, because I think that the Emmys belong to the fans. It's not just the people in the industry. I think it should be on TV. Yeah. So is this you... going to be a new one? if this going to be another one? I sure. don't know.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, uh, the CW was, was ecstatic with the ratings they got. I mean, you know, they, they were puny compared to past 80. Good,
1: good, good, good. As know, I the... said, I thought, I'm not talking about the pre-show, which I was not a fan of, but I thought the show itself was okay, and it was shocking to me, and really, really shocking to me. And my other friend who's been in TV for 25 years, the one who thinks that, you know, the Guiding Light is, you know, shouldn't, you know, should be on radio. And we both thought it was really good. We were shocked, really shocked.
0: <laughs> you know, Vanessa was a great host. I mean, she has nothing she's to do great. with it. great. She was great. a great
1: host. Yeah, I saw her on Broadway in um, Wicked. No, not Wicked. What was it? Anyway, she's fantastic. She could do anything. <laughs> she was really good. She's better than Bob Barker. You know, I've seen all the hosts over the years. Better than, uh, by the way, Bob Barker was one of my best interviews ever, but that's another story. You know, she was better than, you know, than what they had, you know, uh, Mellie Thomas Scott and, and, and Eric Braden. I mean, please. I mean, they're great people, but they're not hosts, you yeah. know. <laughs> so I thought they put on a really good show. And I've written bad, bad reviews every year for like 25 years. <laughs> so, you know, all the kids have said, well, I thought that, you know, this one should have gotten more time. And I thought that, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm being obnoxious. <laughs> So,
0: what do you see happening this fall on the soaps? Are are the remaining soaps going to take Guiding Light's departure this week as a wake up call, or or no?
1: Well, I wrote a column saying that you know that ABC had really you know like decided to put on the ritz for this month. In other words, have a sweeps, and sure. you know they had all these stories. And but the thing is, why are they having all these violent, disgusting stories? That's not going to get the, the the you know the uh, you know like Brody's impairment and. You know, all the, all the, the carnival where... Yeah, edward blowing down the carnival. What? Uh, yeah, our beloved edward, edward, car- edward blowing down the carnival. You know, why are you doing all this violent stuff and when it shows that that's about love and family is going off the air? <laughs> so I don't know. I, they just seem to progress on, you know, what they think is right. They think that if they, if they think that that stuff is going to get viewers, then let them do it, you know. I just don't want to see anybody impaled and I don't want to see <laughs> my Grant. I don't want to see, you know, my grand, my grandmother, you know, you know, drive, drive, uh, you know, a car into the, you know, my grandchildren. You see what I'm saying? I mean, uh-huh. it's, just, it's just kind of weird. <laughs> it's just kind of brutal. You know, I want to see good stories, well-written stories. That's all. And you know, violence, violence. It, you know, there's a violence in everything, but I just don't understand why such extreme violence has to be used.
0: How long does make it, does uh, Let's Make a Deal last, in your opinion?
1: Is it going to be on? That's the one that's going to be on Guiding guideline. You know, I used to watch that when I was a kid, which was well before your time, and I thought it was stupid then. You know, it's not exactly the most brainiest show. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who the host is?
0: Uh, it was Monty Hall, wasn't it?
1: It was. He was great. Yeah. But who, who is the host now?
0: Oh, it's Wayne Brady.
1: Oh, I like Wayne Brady. I think he's a good host. I don't know. I'm, I, I am not a game show person. I never watch game shows. Not me. <laughs>
0: so, do you give this a year or?
1: I don't know. I don't know how a game show is going to do. It's been so long, you know. Yeah. It's been so long, and you know, Price is Right is not really. A, it's a game show, but it's also an institution. So, yeah. I, I have no. You know, I asked a friend of mine, like, why did they bring back Let's Make a Deal instead of a lot of other ones, and he said, Oh, it's because it's stupid. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I just don't know, and I'm not going to watch it. I could care less. <laughs>
0: And how about as the world turns? Do you... Oh,
1: I pray for it. I hope it goes on. I just, you know, it's it's such a, you know, another heart of America show, and I've watched it for so long, and I just, you know, I just hope, hope, hope against all hopes that it just lives forever. My question is why didn't CBS do prom- more promotion for it when Guiding Light went off the air? I think that's very, very weird. Don't you?
0: You know, I, I do, but, you know... I... At, at the the other part of me thinks that, you know, I've I've seen it all at this point, so nothing surprises me anymore.
1: Well, I think it's pretty incriminating, don't you? <laughs> anyway, the, you know, they've got good actors, and, you know, they've got a great company, and, you know, I think the storytelling has gotten better in the last six months or so. So I want that show to stay on the air uh, forever.
0: And, you know, they seem to be making a, a concerted effort to bring back some fan favorites and bring in some actors that, you know, uh, People have a history of liking, so right,
1: you know, right. They, yeah, they've done that a lot. And uh, I was just talking last night with a friend of mine. We were talking about if they would bring back Gwen, You know, that would be fantastic. <laughs> you know, so um, God, I watched As the World Turns from like 1969. So that's a long, long time, long time. I just, as I said, you know, I just, just don't want to see that show go.
0: Isn't it shocking to to realize that you know Procter and Gamble, the the pioneer of of the form, only is going to have one show left after Friday? It's unbelievable.
1: It's called corporate thinking. <laughs> Meanwhile, they made like ninety million, you know, three hundred million dollars last year. Exactly. You know, it's business. and cruelty. <laughs> it's very cruel, especially to to all of us who have lived, who have lived with these shows for so long. and would, you know have taken them into our hearts and our lives. It's really it's not just a cancellation, you know, it's it's really heartbreaking.
0: So sum up Guiding Light's legacy in closing here. What 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 is history going to remember about Guiding Light?
1: That basically was the great you know, the great American soap opera and lasted the longest. It was really about America. It was about uh, you know, normal, middle class people most of the time. It was about faith and hope and love and family. It was about right and wrong. It was about American life, I would say, in the 20th century. I don't know what's in the 21st century, but I think it was really a good reflection of day-to-day American life and what keeps us together. Faith, love, romance, hope, friendship, family.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself.
1: Yeah, and 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 not impar- and you know that's why that's why it's so sad. You know, it's just so sad.
0: Well, I tell you what, I have had such great fun talking to you as always. I appreciate you coming by here to to uh, help me mark such a sad occasion with a with a little humor and a little a little uh, a fair amount of laughs to kind of you know, leaven the occasion a little bit.
1: Well, thank you, Brandon, you're always so great to me, and I really, really appreciate um, that you asked me to be on, and I'll, I will do it any time. And, you know, I love to talk to you, and I love to talk soaps, and um, I also would like to advertise my column, MarlenaDeLaCroix.com, where you could see more of this. And, um, Everybody and,
0: go, go there this week. On the front page right now is a reprint of of Connie's classic 1992 column, Blueprint for Number One, which is a a must-read for anybody who uh, cares about quality soap.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And don't forget to ask Pam about going out on that boat, 1981, (laughs) in her bathing suit. You say, were you really Miss Alabama? Anyway, I think she was Miss Arkansas. I I don't remember which one. But um, anyway, well, again, Brent, thank you so much. You're the greatest.
0: Thank you. You are the greatest. Marlene okay. DeLaCroix, everybody, herself. Connie pasolacqua Heyman, the great, okay. the great, great, great soap critic.
1: Okay, thank you so much. See you next time. Okay, bye-bye.
0: Have a good day. Connie Heyman, everybody, on Brandon's Buzz. Buzz. Brandon Buzz in the can for September 16th, 2009. Uh, come on back tonight. I've got Pam Long, the great writer Pam Long from Guiding Light, from Texas, from Santa Barbara, from One Life to Live. Uh, that's at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Tonight, September 16th, on Brandon's Buzz, uh, a no-holds-barred conversation with Pamela K. Long about Guiding Light, about Soaps, about her amazing career. It's going to be great fun. Please come back for that. Uh, Again, that's 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, tonight on Brandon's Buzz. You can find Brandon's Buzz, as I told you at the top, at blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz, at brandonsbuzz.com, at iTunes. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook brandon's buzz is all over the web just google those words and something will pop up that points you in my direction and i appreciate you guys coming along for the ride finding me listening to me liking the show telling me what you like telling me what you don't like please continue to do so Uh, i appreciate you guys so much listening please come back tonight for pam long and please stay tuned to brandon's buzz
1: hi this is brenda russell and there is definitely a buzz happening Brandon's Buzz. I
0: just had the most fun in the world doing Brandon's Buzz. This is Louise Schaefer. It's a fabulous podcast and it's a great, great way to spend some time. Brandon is.
1: Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hey, everybody, this is Beth Maitland. You probably know me best from my role as Tracy Abbott on The Young and the Restless, and I'm talking to you about Brandon's Buzz. Come on, you got to find him. Hi,
0: this is Gordon Thompson speaking, and I want to tell you that I have appeared on Brandon's Buzz, and I had a great time, and I think you will too, so please log on.
1: Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et
0: à très bientôt.
1: With Lucky Lands Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere.